gentlemen and corner kick fam welcome back to the corner kick podcast i am joined by two men who did not resign as the president of fc barcelona this past week it is nathan strauss hello hello and i assume this is the first time we've talked to him since bartomeo resigned as the uh the president of barcelona caleb rhodes yes one election down one to go um (laughs) Yes, we are recording this on the eve of election day in the United States. So if you haven't voted yet, we encourage this is going to go up Monday evening, Tuesday morning. So please go vote. Make your voice heard. Uh, your voice does matter. Make a plan. Go vote. But now that we've cleared all of that, we can get into some of the business across the pond this past weekend. I believe as you know, we often do on this podcast, we're going to start at Old Trafford in the Premier League, and then we're going to talk about some of, you know, the big storylines stemming from this weekend of Premier League action. I think overall, lads, the Premier League has kind of resumed its chill for the most part. You know, that was that one odd 3-4 game this weekend. But I think for the most part, things have kind of cooled off on the wild results front in the Premier League. Yeah, this week was definitely the, the, the sanest week. Of, of Premier League soccer that we've seen, right? Like the favorites pretty much won every single match. I guess Everton lost to Newcastle, but then again, they had a suspended Dinian or Charleston and an injured Hummus. So yeah, pretty tame weekend all in all. But I think all eyes were on Old Trafford this weekend as they hosted Arsenal. Arsenal were looking to win away at a big six, at a typical big six club for the first time since January of 2015. And they hadn't won at Old Trafford since 2006. Arsenal came away with a 1-0 win after, you know, they went to Liverpool. I think it's safe to say that they got fairly beaten uh, by Liverpool. They went to Manchester City and they played a pretty drab affair and they ended up losing 1-0. However, this time, they go away to Manchester United, who I think were sauntering into this game after beating RB Leipzig 5-0 at home in the Champions League last week, or last Wednesday. But Nathan Strauss, what did you make of this resilient, organized Arsenal performance? So there's, there's two ways that I look at this game. The sort of humorous and slightly pessimistic way is that Arsenal relied on a penalty to beat the team that currently sits in 15th place. The more pragmatic, realistic way is that Arsenal went and Arteta thoroughly outcoached Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and really dominated the game pretty much from start to finish, right? I think it took until the 70th minute for Man U to get a second shot on goal. Uh, Mason Greenwood's attempt on goal early on was their only uh was the only way that they threatened our net but all in all i think this game says a lot more about united than it does about arsenal right i think arsenal played pretty well against leicester and then lost to to vardy uh sort of doing his vardy thing we played fine against city and fine against liverpool but the the gulf in quality between uh those teams is just is just massive but you have to question Ole Gunnar Solskjaer here he set his team up in an incredibly narrow diamond, knowing that Arsenal's only strengths, really, offensively, are from wide players. 
knowing that you know one of the best strikers in the league in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is playing from the left. And players like Bukayo Saka and Hector Bellerin also play out wide. So it really makes no sense to me why he was so insistent on playing this like narrow diamond. Uh, and he just got really thoroughly outcoached. Like I didn't think he adjusted whatsoever. Um, I think there are real questions over his team selection. I still don't get what Donny van de Beek has to do to get into this United team. Arsenal played well, even if the penalty might've been a little soft. I think it was definitely still a penalty. Uh, and Mohamed Elneny had probably his best game in an Arsenal shirt. I think that the trio in the center of the park of Gabriel, Thomas Partey, and Mohamed Elneny uh, looked really, really promising. Yeah, I, t- I tend to take a similar analysis as you, Nathan, in that I think this game reflects a lot more on Man U than it does Arsenal. Right, like looking at the stats, technically Arsenal were still outshot by Man U. They were outpossessed by Man U. They won fewer aerials than Man U. They had fewer corners than Man U. So it wasn't like Arsenal were like running riot by any means. Um, and Lacazette did not have a great game. Willian did not have a great game. And Abemiyang had like an okay game other than his penalty. But I, I just don't understand anything about what Ole did. I don't understand how you go from winning 5-0 in midweek to this And the sort of worst part about it from like a team selection point of view is the fact that, you know, Leipzig in a lot of ways lined up vaguely similar to Arsenal, right? In like a 3-4-3, I think they tend to play slightly more narrow in the front three, but in general, it's the same formation. And one of the, you know, good things that Manu had going for them in midweek was having width. And then he was like, no, I'm going to continue to play a narrow center midfield, but I'm also going to take away all the width from my team and I have worse attacking players because Martial is suspended. And then what substitution am I going to make at the beginning of the second half to really open things up? That's right. I'm going to take off Fred for Matic. Uninspired, absolutely inspired substitution. So Solskjaer was just truly atrocious in this game. And I think is pretty much even more so than Pogba responsible for this result. Because once again, Arsenal, I don't think we're actually that game. Um, but they just took advantage of Man U just being abject in pretty much every department. Yeah, I would agree with you, Caleb. And I think overall, a trend with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is that he's great at formulating a plan A. And I think great might even be a stretch. But I think he's pretty decent at you know putting out a starting 11, kind of feeding the hot hand, to use football American football terminology, and getting across the line in that way. We saw Marcus Rashford start in this game after he uh, scored an 18-minute hat-trick coming off the bench against Leipzig, and he stuck with the diamond that I think they played fairly well against Leipzig. Obviously, they routed them in the end, but that was after an inspired 20-minute performance towards the end of that game. I think overall, Leipzig played fairly decently at Old Trafford. Um, I just think that when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has to make plan B changes, he rarely executes. You know, he had plan A, uh, you know, that 4-2-3-1 coming into the Sevilla match. Sevilla figured that out pretty quickly, and Ole didn't react quick enough in order to reply to <laughs> getting kind of out-physicalityed by Luke De Jong in that Europa League semifinal. And I think here we saw the same thing, where Arteta really emphasized, you know, overwhelming United on the flanks, and Ole didn't really have the nous to react to that whatsoever. I think Bruno Fernandes looked absolutely lost in this game. 
Um, Paul Pogba, I think, probably put in one of his worst shifts uh, as a Man United player. I think he he did a decent job defensively for the French national team in the World Cup. But obviously, you know, there's something about playing him, you know, as a true central midfielder, box-to-box type player in a diamond system when a lot of, like, the defensive duties are going to be falling on him. I think he put in a couple of really rash challenges and obviously he gave up the penalty, a penalty that he should never be, or a tackle that he should never be even trying to make. Ole, once again, has kind of just solidified that Manchester United isn't his level of management, right? And I think we saw... Maurizio Pochettino go on the Sky Sports today and talk about like <laughs> talk talk about like how he you know sets out to coach a team what he's learned from Marcelo Bielsa you know what he's learned from his years of coaching at Espanyol up and through Tottenham and uh, you just look at someone like Maurizio Pochettino and you say that is the caliber of coach that should be that could probably like make the most out of what is a pretty imbalanced Manchester United squad at the moment. Like Nathan said, I don't think he quite knows what to do with this abundance of midfielders. And it's a criticism that we made when Donny van de Beek came into the club is that they strengthened in positions where they didn't need to strengthen. You know, Edinson Cavani comes on at 1-0 instead of 0-0. Ole is a decent manager when he tries to lay out a game plan, but this game is often about making adjustments on the fly. And I just don't think he's been able to do that as a Manchester United manager. No, I was going to say, I'm kind of glad, actually, that United, I think, have a little bit more faith in Ole than maybe the, the casual, the, maybe the neutral would. Um, because it's it's pretty funny looking at their results. They will suffer one really embarrassing defeat and then immediately go on a bounce and win like two or three games in really impressive fashion and then totally capitulate again. So they started off the season losing 3-1 to Palace, uh, and then they won three games in a row. Then they lost 6-1 to Spurs. Then they won two games in a row, including the victory at PSG. Then they drew Chelsea and smoked Leipzig. And now this result. It's like Pochettino seems to be... Not Pochettino, sorry. uh, Solskjaer seems to be consistently on the verge of figuring out this team. And then somehow he like gets a flat tire. Uh, I, I forget which pundit said this, but someone said it's like he's turning the longest corner ever. Yeah, it's just funny, like on a week where, as we mentioned, all the top teams pretty much won. Manchester United are now the only top six teams still left in the bottom half of the table. And while they've played one less game than most clubs, even if they win, they would only be able to rise as high as 12th. And they have a negative four goal difference right now. Like this has been just so bad and I would be I I would not be terribly surprised that if they lose another game or two in the league then they're going to switch to Pochettino because this team is not bad right this team is a top six team and they are just not playing like it right now what did what did you guys make of Paul Pogba's overall performance obviously not I think he was the one who received the most criticism following the match as Caleb said the squad I think is has shown that they're capable of of achieving far more than what they're doing right now. But obviously, Ole is not getting the best out of his star players. I, he was terrible, um, as was Bruno Fernandes. People are willing to give Fernandes a pass because of how impressive he's been uh, since arriving in the league. But without wingers to support them, it takes away Pogba's biggest strength, which I think is those are those, you know, 50 to 60 yard 
cross field passes that players like Greenwood, Martial, and Rashford are typically able to get uh, to get on. I also just don't think that he was in particularly good shape. I thought his comment in his post match interview about how he was he gave away the penalty because he was breathing really heavily and he felt labored. I don't think that reflects very well on him either. And I'm not sure where to place the blame. You know, like I'm not sure how much blame he and Fernandez should get over Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think it's a pretty, it's a, it's a, it's a tough call for me, but I mean, clearly this formation doesn't cater to their strengths whatsoever. Um, but he also had a particularly bad game. Yeah. I think it's tough because Solskjaer just hasn't figured out what he wants to do with his center midfielders. And the thing is he actually has kind of a lot of them and they didn't need to buy Van de Beek as seen by the fact that he barely gets into the game. But I think Pogba in particular is a player that's never been that good defensively. And as Nathan mentioned, really benefits from having people, you know, creating space on the wings for him to switch fields. You know, the setup that Solskjaer put was like the worst possible situation for him. It was like, a little too much defensive responsibility, but also not enough space for him to move in the midfield and also no outlet passes. And so I think he had a bad game, um, but I think Solskjaer's setup is sort of responsible for putting him in a context where he can't play well. Caleb, Arsenal come into this one not having a win at a top six club in nearly six years. They get the job done. No goals from open play. However, Aubameyang gets on the score sheet after a five-game goal drought. They only created five chances in this game. So I think creation is still going to be, or chance creation is still going to be a worry for this Arsenal team. But I think the spine and organization that Arteta has been, you know, building slowly but surely in the past six months, I think really came to full fruition this weekend. We should talk about Thomas Partey, who was excellent, I thought, in this game. He had, what, something like 60-odd passes with a 93% pass accuracy. He had four dribbles. He had four tackles. Like, he was all action through the center of the park. He had that, you know, decent shot from outside of the box. He is uh, what this team has needed in midfield. And I think El Elneny, you know, had a good game and showed a lot of energy. But I think they might need the passing range of, Jaka or the creativity of Chabayos to sort of finish out this midfield too. But I forget, one of the pundits in England was like, Partey is giving me like Vieira vibes. And I'm not it sure we're there yet. Yeah, it was And so I'm not sure we're there yet, but I think these are promising signs for a team that's sort of looked for a midfield leader for a few years now. Yeah, in a way, it's, it's, it's kind of very, it's very validating for me because I feel like Arsenal have gotten exactly what they paid for. And he basically walked into our midfield knowing that he was our best midfielder. And so far in his, what, I guess three and a three and a substitute appearance uh, for us has been absolutely elite. And the thing that impressed me most, I think, was, uh, First of all, he had five accurate long balls of his five attempted. I think he's a, he's a more creative player than his role at Letty would have let us know. Um, but also, there were two times when he got caught, uh, maybe not on the ball, but he had you know short passes that ended up with United. He immediately hustled back and was able to complete the tackle and then get Arsenal going the other way again. Um, and I think that combination will that that sort of ethic, work ethic and determination will serve him really well especially if Ceballos or, you know, maybe long-term someone like Awar comes in who operates in a little bit more of an advanced role. So very, very impressed with him. Very, very impressed with Gabriel. I think Arsenal's transfer business 
song, uh, if you exclude Willian, was pretty much perfect this summer. Yeah, so hopefully Arsenal can build off of this momentum going into the international break. Obviously, there's one more weekend to go. Lads, I do want to move on to probably two, to, let's talk about two games at the same time, because I think there was two separate incidents that kind of linked into one narrative this weekend. Let's talk about Liverpool beating West Ham United uh, at home 2-1. to one. And also, let's discuss Tottenham Hotspur beating Brighton and Hove Albion 2-1. to one. Obviously, the two incidents that kind of, you know, fed into a whole lot of outrage this weekend was Mohamed Salah going down under a challenge by Arthur Masuaku. And he gets a penalty. And obviously, I think you could probably look at it. He makes the most out of the contact, but it is still deemed to be a foul. Salah converts the penalty, gets Liverpool back in the game. The next day, Harry Kane manipulates himself into a challenge, goes down under contact from Adam Lalana. It's deemed to be in the box. It looked like it could have gone either way. It was either could have been outside the box or just inside the box. And Harry Kane gets a penalty. I think there was a lot of talk about, you know, how certain domestic players are perceived in the Premier League versus how pundits, writers, football opinionists perceive foreign players and the way that we discuss players who play for the England setup versus players who are coming into the Premier League from abroad. Uh, Nathan, I did just want to get your take on this since it seemed to be like the hot button issue of the weekend. Yeah, I, I mean, so we've talked about it a little bit. I think when we saw that 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 Graham Sonis comment about um, Eric Lamella earlier this year and him being a quote unquote Latin player, this kind of double standard for English players and for for white players as well is simply you know ridiculous. And I think it's one of the things that really has to change. We saw that groundbreaking study this summer that showed that from a punditry perspective, um, there are clear uh, racialized terms that are used to describe players or different uh, backgrounds and ethnicities. And I think to a certain extent, refereeing actually follows those same lines. So I think Salah, Salah goes down maybe a little easy. But at the end of the day, Masuaku clearly commits a foul in the box, turns to look at the ref as if to say, whoops, sorry about that. Um, and with the state of officiating in VAR, who can blame Mohamed Salah for maybe exaggerating just a little bit to make sure that the call is drawn? I think that's part of the game. Meanwhile, Harry Kane commits a dangerous foul that should have gone the other way that wasn't even in the box and somehow refereeing both both the referee and VAR um, give him the benefit of the doubt and award a penalty. I think it's just ridiculous. And I don't know whether it's because he's the England captain, but... I think it's shocking. I think he actually endangers Adam Lallana by backing into him and sort of just stopping. Um, we've seen players, you know, really, really seriously hurt themselves that way um, because of how they have to land. Uh, and yeah, I think it's I think it's really disgraceful. And I think that they need to change the rules um, pretty much immediately. Nick, as, as a Liverpool fan, what did you make of the, the Sala situation? And, and what are your thoughts on the cane? I mean, I think I agree mostly with Nathan. I'm not sure, you know, Harry, I don't, I'm not sure it's disgraceful for a player to sort of seek out or make the most out of a situation in the box in order to win his team a penalty. I certainly don't think it's okay for, you know, players to endanger one another. And I certainly think Adam Milana could have come off w- certainly a lot worse than he did from that situation. So I'm happy that it resulted in both players walking away fine from that challenge. 
I do agree with the fact that I think there definitely is a bias towards the way that we look at or the way that the media, particularly the the British media, portray players who are associated, particularly younger players, I'll take this even further, younger white players who are associated with the England setup. I think there is a leniency when it comes to covering them in the media. So when you talk about Harry Kane, I saw some pundits call that quote unquote clever play versus Salah. Salah being just like totally disrespecting the game. How dare he, you know, make a meal out of the challenge, blah, 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 blah. And then there was even like that, uh, <laughs> that, that article that I saw today from, I forget what publication it was. And if I had it in front of me, I would tell you the author's name as well. But it was like Mohamed Salah diving against West Ham disgraces the memory of the game that Bob Nobby Styles, you know, the Manchester United legend who passed away during the weekend. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> disgracing the memory of Nobby Styles. Dude, I saw that headline too, and I was like, that is the most ridiculous thing. Yeah, Mohamed Salah's dive was insult to Nobby Styles and game he loved. So I think there is like a clear bias towards, you know, portraying portraying England's golden children, especially, you know, the people who provided them with such success at the 2018 World Cup with a lot more leniency than there is foreign players coming into coming into the Premier League. I think if you look at Mohamed Salah and you look at the way that he's had an impact, like a dramatic impact on Liverpool culturally, you know, there was that article that came out two years ago where like hate crimes against just in general in Liverpool have decreased by a staggering percentage. So, and Mohamed Salah is someone who has had an amazing effect on the community as a whole. I think these are just aspects that like, you know, if you're an attacking player, the the rules are always going to be bent towards you slightly so i never begrudge an attacker for you know making quote unquote making a meal out of situation however i do think that the perspective needs to be equivalent across the board when discussing these things yeah tony cascarino is the guy who uh who said that quote for for those who are into a little bit of naming and shaming um but yeah i think it's one of many sort of weird holdovers of this deeply entrenched British supremacy that I think a lot of, you know, the old guard have, uh, which is obviously totally incongruous with the sort of highly cosmopolitan uh, Premier League, but definitely would encourage people to be conscious of how they judge players and sort of confront their own internal biases. Yeah, but let's get back to the play on the pitch. Caleb, I think there is a man in this Spurs Brighton game that we absolutely need to talk about. He's back. That's right. He's back and he's scoring goals. Bail back, my guy. I've we've been I've been waiting for this. Um, I'm so happy for him. I'm glad that it was a game winner. I think low key or maybe even high key, like Spurs have looked very very strong. Um, I believe they have the best offense in the league. Yep, with Kane and you know having six goals and eight assists. They have, you know, a solid defense. And if they can get Bale up and firing too, my word. It was a little weird seeing him score and, you know, run off to the corner and do his celebration and then to have, like, Son and Kane embrace him because it felt like, I don't know, there was, like, a weird kind of anachronism to it all, right? Like, it felt like some montage. Like these players It felt like a FIFA cutscene. Yeah, no, it just felt strange because it was, like, they're welcoming him back, but he's simultaneously, like, the kind of elder statesman prodigal son of this club. I don't know. I think I think it was a good moment. 
Um, but it, it's still like a little weird seeing Gareth Bale back in a Spurs shirt and probably even stranger seeing Gareth Bale, you know, smiling, enjoying himself, not like smirking at like the failures of his team on the pitch. So all in all, this was this was great for Spurs and great to have Bale be the guy to uh, secure them the win. I, so one caveat on Spurs, I think, is that they have had oh boy. The, no, they I mean, they've had the they've had the easiest strength of schedule yes. in the entire league. That is true. Over the first over the first seven weeks, I I think that that is just sort of important when you look at how well they've been able to perform. Not to mention the fact that I think they've used the Europa League really well in sort of letting their players get into this goal scoring groove um but i am legitimately threatened by the spurs team under Mourinho um in a way that i don't think i was for large parts of the pochettino era once they i think that their big test is going to be that man city game which is right after the international break i hope all their players are healthy because i think that's going to let us know um you know whether this team is a pretender or a contender because with the way the league has been going this year this might be Spurs' best chance ever um, to win the title. Again, they they do have some some significantly tougher fixtures coming up. They also have the North London Derby. I'm, I've been very impressed with them so far, and, and I'm not normally impressed with Spurs. Yeah, I was super impressed with the way that they kind of powered through this game. I think it wasn't the greatest performance by any means. You could tell that their players were certainly leggy from losing that Europa League game in midweek. I think Mourinho has been pretty smart about having using the Europa League as a mini preseason for Gareth Bale. And I think you saw in this game that when he came on, he looked far more match fit than he has been in his previous Europa League appearances. And at the 70th minute, he comes on. In the 73rd minute, he scores. And we've seen time and time and time and time again that when this man is fit, he is a serial match winner. And I think he won them three vital points that they needed in order to get up to third in the Premier League. And I absolutely agree. After the game, he came out and said that he came here or he came back to the Premier League to contend for the title. And I don't think, you know, Daniel Levy or Jose Mourinho would spend all the money that they did, especially, you know, carrying some of Gareth Bale's massive wages if they weren't expecting to launch a bid at the top four and specifically the Premier League this season, seeing how I think teams are a lot more vulnerable in the hunt I don't know. Like Nathan, I'm a little bit terrified of this Spurs team getting up and running at full fitness. Hunman Son is the joint top scorer in the Premier League with eight goals. Harry Kane in his new quarterback role facilitating things in like a center attacking midfield position has been sort of a revelation under Jose Mourinho. And it's not something that you're usually accustomed to seeing from a Mourinho striker. So you can see that Jose is also evolving his game evolving his management style, evolving his game plans with, you know, the depth of personnel that he has uh, with the Spurs team. And they're quite a deep team as well. Like if you look at this bench, Giovanni LaCelso came off the bench along with Gareth Bale. Ben Davies came off the bench in defense. Lucas Moura was on the bench for this game. Harry Winks is a very good progressive passer. He was on the bench in this game. Uh, I think, you know, probably the era of Deli Ali is over after his really terrible performance against Antwerp. So probably we won't be seeing him for a very long time. But I just think (laughs) Spurs have a lot of strength and depth that they didn't have last season, or specifically they didn't have under Maurizio Pochettino. You know, we were always threatened by, you know, the Morrison-Kane tandem, and that was it. Tongi and Dombele looks revitalized. Dierem Rehoiberg had a 7.1 match rating in this game. He looks to be like exactly what they needed to partner 
alongside Shisoko in that double pivot. So I've been impressed with what I've seen from Spurs so far. I just think, I just think they need to keep that consistency going uh, if they are to challenge and not slip up like they did against West Ham. I think it's vital that they won this game while playing, you know, not up to their standards. No, I, I am very hot on Tottenham, but I will pour one out for our boy. Deli Ali, who, as we saw the documentary, Mourinho was like, do you want to be good or do you want to be average and be no one? And clearly Deli Ali's uh, kind of going the the Ross Barkley route a little bit, perhaps. We'll Does that see. mean that in three years, Deli Ali is going to be beating Liverpool 7-2? His Aston Villa debut? Probably. I feel like, I don't know. I'm not really sure where Deli Ali goes from here. Um it's kind of I think open. he's just such a he's such a tactically weird player to position in a setup, right? Because he's he's better coming off the left, but at the same time he's a center attacking midfielder. At the same time, he likes to play as a second striker, so I, he he can't really play as a center midfielder. But Pochettino played them there sometimes. Played him there sometimes, anyways. And he's not I, fast, right? He, like yeah. He's another player who I think just sort of peaked in ability as like a 19 or 20 year old, but never really had the potential to be as elite as I think a lot of people wanted him to be because of his story and because of um, the young age that he made the breakthrough at, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think PSG would be kind of a perfect landing spot for him in order to get some confidence back into his boots and try and try and kick on. Uh, at a top club like PSG, but also a league that's not as demanding in Liga. I think that's actually like that rumor was floated around towards deadline day a couple months ago. And I think that would be the the ideal landing spot for him. All right. And switching from England, casting our gaze to La Liga, let's talk about, you know, they had a very good result in <laughs> in midweek FC Barcelona. And they also beat Juventus as well <laughs> away in Turin. <laughs> Um, <laughs> obviously, these are the first two games following Josep Maria Bartomeu's resignation, blockbuster resignation. So I think there was, you know, just a little bit of positivity filtering into the club coming into their match against Juventus in which they won out 2-0. And then you, th- you thought they were going to carry that momentum uh, into an away match against Alaves. Instead, you know, they played against a 10-man team, 10-man Alaves for about... 30 35 minutes and they couldn't get it done it was a 1-1 draw and they barcelona have now taken two points out of 12 in la liga this season <laughs> yeah this is a this is another mediocre week for for barcelona this game just was so shockingly bad on so many levels i mean i think we've been talking about it for a few weeks now but busquets clearly just cannot be the guy um in this midfield too and i think I predict if they stick with the 4-2-3-1, which I maintain we should not, we won't be seeing much Busquets in the future. I mean, the only changes, the only changes to this lineup from the lineup that faced Juventus uh, are uh, PK back in for Araujo, Busquets in for Pjanic, and Fati in for Pedri. Uh, in theory, all of those are upgrades. Clearly not in practice. Um, I think the only positive that can be taken from this game is Griezmann scoring. Um, but like really like Neto looked like he'd never seen a soccer ball before. It was like a FIFA glitch. It was that bad. Um, Lenglet, like he hauled off half the team at halftime. It was just utterly terrible. Messi looked more frustrated than I've ever seen Messi. Like he just, and it's, I find it hilarious that the who scored rating 
gave him a 9.1 and said he was man of the match. I don't know what they're talking about, man. Like, not a lot happens in this game. Um, and it's a little disappointing, too, because I thought Dembele was going to, like, light shit up after his midweek performance, but not a lot was going on. I don't know. This team is this team is janky. I, I think we should go back to the 4-3-3. I think this experiment has just failed. I thought Messi was going to get sent off. He, he was booked. I think like, he deserved before, to get sent off. Yeah, like, he was booked, I want to say, in like the 35th minute or something like that. And I thought he was like a ticking time bomb. And if, if it were anyone else but Messi, I think the coach would have taken him off um, right then and there. I think that one of the comments that I made uh, maybe last episode that I was on has been somewhat validated in that I think Busquets just cannot fit in this midfield too whatsoever. I thought the team looked a lot better with Pjanic in there alongside De Jong. This game was a little bit more favorable to Barcelona than I think you might have made it out to be. Uh, the only uh, major chance for Oliveres came from a freak accident at the back. And had it not been for uh, Fernando Pacheco standing on his head for the last 20 minutes of the game, doing his former employers, Real Madrid, proud, um, I think that this result would have been, you know, a, a sort of nervy 2-1 or 3-1 victory. But I just don't really think that this 4-2-3-1 works at all, Caleb, just like you said. Um, I was pleased to see Griezmann get on the score sheet, though. Uh, I think that could be big for Barcelona's success this coming year. Yeah, I'm just not super convinced by Kuman in general, lads. And I, I'm sure Caleb probably feels the same way. I'm sure Nathan probably feels the same way as well. I just think I was looking at him on the on the bench and there was no real attempt to galvanize his team in the second half. He kept like clutching his water bottle and holding onto it tight. He sat back down multiple times. He looked absolutely dejected. He was looking at the ground, looking at his shoes. Um, there was just no real impetus from him as a coach and maybe he's just not that type of manager but i think we've seen the modern soccer coach really needs to create a culture of resiliency and like kind of create that spine for their own team in terms of um, an emotional resilience and emotional willingness to kind of play for the manager and that's how you succeed obviously i'm like i'm a liverpool fan so i'm accustomed to like when we go down one nil jurgen klopp galvanizes his team to come back into the match you know he's screaming he's kicking around he's you know getting involved with the referees he's getting involved with the opposition bench sometimes he's like calling players out on the pitch and i think for kuman there was way too much passivity in this one and if you're the coach of barcelona i think you have everything at your feet to succeed and the thing that you need to do as a coach is empower your players to go on to do the job and i just don't think he's doing that tactically and i certainly don't think he's doing it emotionally no, right. I mean, like, here's the thing. Even without Suarez, even with, you know, a slightly discontent Messi, there's no reason that Alaves should really pose a challenge to Barcelona, right? Like, no reason at all, especially when we could take out, like, a Juventus in midweek. I guess one thing you could say is, you know, if you look at the stats for this game, Barcelona had, like, 25 shots. Nine of them were on target. Like, Pacheco in goal for Alaves was playing his mind out. So this game could have ended very differently. Um, but I think the fact that it didn't still speaks to like a lack of intensity a little bit from this team. Um, and I think Coman is, as you mentioned, Nick, partly responsible for that, for not establishing like a clear culture of resiliency in the club. And 
once again, not really using everyone in his squad, right? Like if things aren't going well, I don't understand why you wouldn't even like try giving Puig minutes or try giving Alenia minutes. Like we have other options that he just hasn't explored at all because he's so wed to this 4-2-3-1 and because he thinks Pedri is the next Iniesta. And I have nothing against Pedri, but my point is we have players available that he hasn't even tried yet, despite the fact that, you know, we're now six games into a La Liga season and we are in the bottom half of the table. Right. Real Madrid, for all that we've talked about, their structural issues in the past couple of weekends, they came to the Camp new and won. And this weekend they had a convincing 4-1 win and Eden Hazard is back and scoring absolutely unbelievable goals from halfway across the pitch, it seems. So I think once again, we're looking at Madrid being on the ascendancy. They're eight points ahead of Barcelona right now. I think Real Sociedad are the, you know, the form team in general in La Liga. Uh, but even then, Barcelona have a ways to go in terms of creating goals for themselves. They've only, they've, <laughs> Valencia have outscored them this season in La Liga admittedly only by one, but when you have Lionel Messi and Antoine Griezmann, Usmane Dembele, and even, you know, Ansu Fati and the, the likes of Trincao coming off the benches. I just thought the substitutions have been weird from Kuman as well. I feel like when, when they're, when they're uh, you know, reliant on coming back into the game, he completely abandons ship and abandons the formation. Miralem Pjanic was the only true center midfielder on the pitch for Barcelona at one point, and it was like Braithwaite, Trincao, Messi, Griezmann, um, Pedri all in front of him. And I was just like, what kind of Frankenstein's monster is this? Like, what's the plan going forward? And at least like when you look at Real Madrid play, you can see that Zidane has a way he likes to filter his offense. You know, I just don't know if Kuman. I think Kuman is, is flying by the seat of his pants a little bit, Nathan. Yeah, his, his game management is really poor. Uh, I think that's been a feature of him as a manager going back for a number of years now. And especially given the sort of behind closed doors turmoil right now at Barcelona, I think that even though I know he was just appointed, I think that he has to coach as if his job depends on it, knowing that there are going to be elections around Christmas time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Coman is one of those managers who is taking the uh, five substitutions thing a little to the extreme, like a triple sub <laughs> at halftime, <laughs> including taking off one of your center backs and not putting on a center back and moving deep. Like, it's just a little, I don't know, it's just a little manic, honestly. Which, once again, I think this is a club in turmoil. The last thing you want to do is just have a team that is utter chaos. Um, and he's not instilling any sense of order at all in this team. In fact, disorder seems to be reigning supreme uh, pretty clearly on the pitch. Yeah, I think there are certainly questions to be asked about FC Barcelona in a La Liga race that seems to be getting far, farther and farther away from the Catalonian club, I would say. Maybe overall a decent week in terms of Barcelona news, but certainly on the pitch, maybe leaving something to be desired there. But lads, there is one more individual we wanted to talk about on this podcast before we wrap things up, and that is the corner kick comeback player of the year in 2020. <laughs> You know, he's really reaping the benefits of that Chia pet that we sent him towards the end of last season. But he came, beat COVID, beat an ACL tear, has registered a goal in every single Serie A match this season, 
AC Milan are top of the table. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is scoring bicycle kicks for the win against Udinese. It's nuts that AC Milan have the youngest. They've consistently put out the youngest 11 of the, of any team in the big five leagues while factoring in the fact that you have a 39 year old starting in that lineup. Um, he is leading the line of a team that is full of hungry, hungry, youthful players like Rafael Leao. He's got the experience of uh, Chalhanoglu in behind, who I think has played pretty well uh, this year. And all in all, AC Milan might be the team that might be the form team in the entire world. They're what, 28 games unbeaten now, I think, going back to last year. Um, including games in Europe and European qualifying. Yeah, I think so, right now the form teams in Europe are AC Milan and Glasgow Rangers. Yeah, so definitely definitely a weird time to be alive. Like, I, are we living in the 1970s? Maybe. Um, I think a lot of credit deserves, deserves to go to Stefano Pioli because he... He was going to be gone. Club. They were going to replace him with Ralph Ragnick. Right. He was going to be gone. And this is a club that has been in relative turmoil for the better part of a decade, uh, frankly. And all of a sudden, he has managed to turn this team of smart transfers. Um, You look at the contributions they've gotten from guys like Salamakers, um, even getting contributions from their new signing, uh, Jens Peter Hoge, who uh, they signed after he impressed against them. uh, Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean... Like this entire team is it has been put together very very smartly, I think, and uh, having the the, the ever presence Zlatan up top I think helps a lot. But guys like Sander Tonali, Ismail Benacer, a former Arsenal youth player, um, this team is very very talented, and I think we might have been wrong in our prediction about which Milan outfit was going to challenge Juve for the Scudetto. I think this team is impressive, and I think Zlatan is this like insane X factor superhuman. I don't think, though, that we should count out Inter yet. And I think on paper, Inter remain a better team than AC Milan, right? Like, I, I feel like AC Milan are, are one humbling defeat to, like, Napoli away from slipping down into, like, fifth or sixth place, which is probably where they should be in this league. But for now, they are the form team. And so I, I, I deeply respect that. But I don't think that this team is as good as their results suggest they are. I don't know about that. I think they played really, really well this season. And like Nathan said, they're unbeaten going back to when football restarted. They haven't lost a game actually since since Serie A restarted. So it's quite impressive what they've been able to do in a short span of time. And I just think we've seen this in soccer before and also just plenty of times in other sports as well where an experienced old veteran comes into a situation where he's surrounded by talented, but you know, raw youthful talent. And he, he elevates everyone around him. And I think that that's what we're seeing at AC Milan. You know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is elevating the confidence and belief and with confidence and belief comes improved ability as well of, you know, players like Brahim Diaz, who has been scoring in the Europa League for them, players like Rafael Leao, who has someone like Zlatan Ibrahimovic to combo off of in his young career. I think Hakan Chananoglu has been looking for a striker like Zlatan Ibrahimovic to ping his delicately placed balls. Wow, that is <laughs> not how I wanted that to go. 
<laughs> he dangles and falls and over behind the designs. <laughs> <It's kind of laughs> to uh to, to place really uh anything I say is gonna is gonna sound uh a little a little wrong now, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I didn't realize Zlatan's Zlatan's minutes per goal is insane. He's averaging a goal every 51 minutes for Milan this year. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's insane. So Udinese was the first game in which he hasn't registered a brace this season in Syria, which is absurd. And I think it's ridiculous that he's doing all of this at the age of 39, coming off of an ACL surgery, which probably should have ended his career. I think it would have ended any other 39-year-old's career. But I just think, you know, we saw this at in the early days of Manchester City, Yaya Toure, an experienced player coming in from FC Barcelona and elevating the likes of Sergio Aguero, Edin Dzeko, David Silva at that point. Everyone at that club at that point, you know, is the infancy of the Manchester City project uh, and elevating them. Yaya Toure came in and I think he really elevated everyone's game around him. And I think there was a similar situation going on here with AC Milan in which, Nathan, you mentioned that um, Pioli plays a big part in this revival of AC Milan. And I totally agree with you, but I also think the other thing that's important to think about is that AC Milan are under new ownership as well. So I think a player like Zlatan is exactly what you need in order to set the tone for the beginning parts of your new ownership. I believe it's like an American owner. There's no one better to set the tone for, you know, your new regime than a player like Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It's a shame we don't get to see how they would fare in the Champions League. But I think I think finishing in one of the Champions League spots is probably the most realistic goal for them this year and bringing them back to where I'm sure their fans believe that they belong to maybe give the San Siro one last famous European night before it gets demolished. Can you believe it was not deemed historical enough in order to not get demolished? That's well, to absurd. be fair in Italy, in Italy, everything is historical, That's right? True. That's true. I, I've never felt more Roman or I guess Roman's <laughs> not the right word, but I've never felt like more uh, medieval than when I landed in Rome and as soon as you leave Fiumicino, it's like, shit, this road is like 800 years old. Uh, no, dude, it's like 2,000 years old. It's like, it's not medieval, it's Roman. <laughs> I've never been more depressed on a vacation than I was when I was in Venice, though, I will say. Dude, Venice sucks. It does. It's, it, the exactly. lines are too long. It's far too hot. It smells sinking. weird. No, I know. When I heard it was sinking, I was like, good riddance. Oh, my God. It can sink. <laughs> Sink to the bottom of the ocean for all I care. You know, when those fake reports came out during the beginning of COVID, where it's like, oh, dolphins are swimming. The dolphins are back. Of Venice, I was like, oh, shit. We were so close to like finally getting rid of. Uh, See, Venice, Venice, is, Venice is most useful in terms of just like providing these obscene cinematics, like in Spider-Man or in uh, The Italian Job yeah. or in the end of whatever James Bond movie it was, one of the newer ones where... Uh, that Palazzo sinks. Mm. Um, but it's definitely less appealing in person. I think, you know, they say that Jacksonville is sinking right now. You know, eventually in like however many years time, like Jacksonville, Florida is not going to exist anymore. Honestly, I would keep Jacksonville and sink Venice if I had to cheese. <laughs> wow. Venice. Wow. Venice, Italy, Florida. Dude, Jacksonville looks like a bad render from like a video game. No, dude, it looks like the, the, the setting for a Grand Theft Auto game. No, that's what, no, I, that's what I mean. Like, uh, like, a, like a Chinese knockoff of Grand Theft Auto, though. Right? Because yeah, no. like, some of them focus on, you know, like New York and LA. They're like, okay, what's the, what's the C-list city that we could turn into a serviceable uh, yeah. video game? 
Anyways, big crime cool. vehicle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big crime vehicle. <laughs> that sounds like the name of one of those ads that you get when you're like when you're on a, when you're on one of those um when you're on an app that like you don't want to pay for the ad block. Yeah, I, I, had, I had a bad time in Venice. I had to wheelchair. I, I had to like push someone around in a wheelchair for most of it, and that was hell. So I think a lot of it, it was attributed to that. But overall, you know, Venezia FC, pretty cool club. I got to visit their stadium. Dope kits. They, they play on an island. Very cool kit. Uh, they have. Yeah, I met. Player. I met some of their players when I was in Venice at their yeah. store. So I have my yeah. notifications set up for them and hope they succeed in Serie B this season. That has been Corner Kick. If we sound a bit beleaguered, it's because there's a lot. We know there's a lot going on in life right now, and it's only going to ramp up as the days keep going. But this is what we're here for, just to provide a little bit of a distraction. As Jurgen Klopp once said, football is the most important, least important thing. So we hope you all do your civic duty this upcoming Tuesday, and we all hope you have as stress-free and healthy a week as possible and we will hope to see you later down the line after the champions league and some of the other marquee fixtures happen this weekend so with that being said i've been nick vinden i'm caleb Rhodes. nathan strauss we will see you all next time